0: This episode is brought to you by Liquid IV. Guys, if you don't know what Liquid IV is, we'll buckle up because I'm gonna throw you a game changer. Liquid IV is a hydration multiplier that not only tastes great, but is a non-GMO electric light drink mix. love it won't be disappointed so please give it a shot and get more fuel for life's adventures now back to the show Greetings and salutations, all you beautiful people, and welcome to another episode of Art of the Beholder, a show dedicated to all things eclectic in the world of arts, where we do deep dives into deep cuts and help you understand why damn things matter. I'm your host, Novo Day, and today we're going to be talking about art in history by focusing on the life, times, and works of Swedish abstract artist Hilma af Klint. To hash it out, we are once again joined by our favorite spiritual medium. And that is Miss Alexandra Parsons. <laughs> oh
1: my, I wasn't expecting that. Of
0: alexandraparsons.com. Welcome back.
1: Hi, thank you. I'm so excited about this episode. Well,
0: uh, what makes it fun for me and also surprising to you guests is I, you probably have noticed this by now, I write a brand new intro. For every single guest. Mm. So just like all our other shows, I'll introduce my my guest. That's why I at the last I actually write that in in the last minute. Okay. So there's no way you can see it coming. That's why I liked your little giggle. <laughs> our favorite spiritual medium. Alvin Parsons.
1: <laughs> People who know me really well will be like, she is.
0: And I'm like, "Yeah." Oh like you could hear it from the rooftops. <laughs> yeah, I'm like, oh. damn right. <laughs> She's such a
1: woo-woo. And I'm like, not, not, well, actually, not as bad as I used Are to be. Are you a yeah. woo-woo
0: a little I used, bit?
1: Uh, a little bit. I used to be, I'm a, a lot more like living in this world. You know, I believe in having a balance, like staying, keeping one foot in this present world and like. You know, I always say if you meditate too much every day, you start to like step out of this dimension and start you to You may get...
0: be in the spiritual world. What yeah. You're
1: and then you start talking to people and they're like, what the fuck are you talking about? <laughs> Elephants and the connection to the human. What? Like, you know, you got to stay balanced. So that's I'm a firm believer and. In- you know, being logical, but also connecting into your intuition. It's very hard to find that, but eventually in time you do.
0: Let's now, let's talk about that balance by telling the good people why. Why are we talking about artist Hilma af Klint today? So uh, what a lot of you probably don't know, and myself included, I have to be humble here, guys. I actually didn't know any of this history until recently until our Miss Parsons brought it to my attention. And now we got to give it to you guys because Hilma af Klint is considered to be among the first ever artists to create what is known as abstract art in all of Western art history, like officially from historians, predates some of the godfathers at the time. There was three artists at the time that were the godfathers of abstract art, and her art predates that. So before there was abstract expressionism and abstract this and abstract that, there was of course an origin, right guys? There was simply abstract art. But where did it come from? That's what we're going to discuss today with Hilma af Klint's history. So it's not, we're not, so we're not, we love we love our godfathers, we do, but we need to give a lot of room and time, recognition, the spotlight, finally, to a lot of our godmothers. Now, before we can discuss, of course, we all need a little background. Hilma af Klint was born on October 26th. 1862 in Karlberg Palace, Solna, Sweden. Showing a natural ability for the arts at a very young age, she first went to study portraiture and landscape painting in Stockholm at what was then called the School of Tekniska Skolan, but is now known as the University of Arts, Crafts, and Design, or more commonly known as Kunstfak. At the age of 20, she was admitted into the Royal Academy of Fine Arts furthering her craft and portraiture and landscape painting as well as drawing at this time though her conventional paintings became the source of her income it was oh man we're, we're excited to tell you about this guys what was later discovered to be her true artistic life's work that was under the veil of her being so that's what we're going to be exploring today we're going to unravel the mystery of her work and learn what was beyond all those conventional pieces and what was really lurking in the shadows. At her core, one could argue what came from her soul, all the work, all the intrigue, the art that came from deep, deep within, and one could argue from beyond. But before we do that, we're going to take a little break and hear from our sponsors. We'll be right back. This episode is brought to you by Novella Adulteration. Follow adult entertainer Jessica Amberstar as she embarks on a journey that will change her life forever. She not only finds herself in the industry but figures out a way to transform herself and eventually become reborn. Find out how in Adulteration, which can be found on Amazon in both paperback and ebook, available now. Now back to the show. Okay, Miss Parsons, before, you know, the original conception of the show, we were just gonna dive right in to her little mm-hmm. legacy and history, but I felt we gotta like I think we need to address a little bit of an elephant in the room. Oh
1: yeah, and we've time. talked
0: we've talked about this in the past with some of our other shows. Click here, but um, we need to talk about the fact that historically women, not only in this profession in in <laughs> in the world in all professions, but obviously we're highlighting the arts and artists. And people of those communities, they, uh, so many women, so many profound, amazing, uh, progressive artists that were women have been pushed to the side, have been Mm -hmm. pushed into the shadows, ignored. And it has, you know, I actually had to really do some homework here. It hasn't been for maybe the last century. I mean, think of all, all humankind history or like, like as we actually started, you know, Writing down our history, right? Like, as yeah. history was modern history as we know it, only in the last century, 100 years. So that's just like a blip in time as women finally be finally been given kind of the recognition they deserve. And Hilma is like. The has to be one of the most official archetypes of this, like pushed to the side. And she was really the true origin of abstract art and is now like rewriting the history books.
1: Exactly. She is rewriting the history books and the people, which is something that I didn't really realize, is that the origin or the people who kind of like write art history who get it's approved they are men, is too. Are men. <laughs> yeah. and it's yeah. usually approved by like the MoMA the Museum of Modern Art and saying that like hey this person this woman was actually before Kandinsky um, creating these works and there are so many works that if you compare them to the other artists she was like two decades or a decade ahead and you like and it's eerily like how did she know like it, it almost it gets you to the point where you're just kind of like, why was she so overlooked? How did this person and a lot many, many art historians will say because she was a woman and and it's really unfortunate and we have to rewrite history because of her now or rewrite art history and that will contradict what the moma like the godfather of art history people will say they wouldn't even show her work they had a whole thing on like the abstract pioneers and not one work and like two and it was put it wasn't until like um in sweden they public they did it in 2018 they did a whole exhibit of her work but i digress a little bit going back to like feminism and why women have been overlooked is because mainly art has been a boys club and a lot of it had become a like, how can we make money off these people? Exactly. And they wanted, you know, if a woman created it and it wasn't, Oh they didn't women were only supposed to make pretty flower paintings or portrait paintings. They weren't Stay supposed in the to be or yeah, make
0: babies and be mothers. They they had to the fit kids.
1: between the box that men said they would. So if it wasn't approved by the generation of whatever fucking men it was, then and Steiner, R- Rudolf Steiner was one of the men that she like looked up to, she was rejected by him and um he actually I don't know if you knew this, but he actually had one of her like had a little sketchbook of all her smaller paintings like she had always carried tons and tons. She's like twenty six thousand thousand like writings of her sketch like sketches and sketchbooks is crazy and they still have them but he had it and some say that like he kind of denied and said um it's it's people aren't ready for this or whatever but then he knew kandinsky and apparently he went over to kandinsky and there is theories that he showed him her work
0: that's exactly what i was thinking about that the history is suggesting now that She not only predates these three artists that were considered the godfathers of abstract art, but actually inspired them, like Mm -hmm. helped to show part of the craft that became the movement, which is mind boggling to me. And it took her, we're getting ahead of ourselves, it took Mm -hmm. her so long to get recognized, to get recognition. So I think, yeah, I I just wanted, I felt like we needed to frame this piece by starting with the fact that this has happened for so long. It's not only happened to her, it's ha- happened to countless other amazing female artists. And it's finally time that we fucking change this, and give everyone equal footing and equal opportunities for recognition and to find success.
1: And one thing I'll say for present day is what I've learned about too is the fact that you can't, none of these art, like the Boys Club of today in art history and selling art, there's still prominently a lot of men. Um, oh yeah, it's still happening
0: today, for sure. You
1: can't make money off her work because she you can't sell her stuff. You can't auction her work. she That's like a strict guideline she put or... Something like you could make copies and you know you can sell them at the gift shop, but a lot of her stuff can't you can't make millions of dollars off of it, nothing is for really sale.
0: I have a a, a T Buck tangent corner for you, Miss Parsons, Mm -hmm. because I was discussing uh, this very topic with my ghostwriter and she made an amazing point. She goes, Could you imagine a world? Could you imagine the world we could be living in if men? And society didn't do this to women. If we had 50% of the population helping to push and progress society and culture into what it could be, you know, instead of just pushing them to the side, like, oh, you women, you need to be here. You need to be in this box for so long. Could you imagine if they were given 100% opportunities? And think about all of the brilliant, brilliant minds. That were left unnurtured because men put them in the kitchen or put mm-hmm. them to just raise the kids or just be mothers and just be these things that society wanted them to be when they could have been so much Label more. Label them
1: as hysteria, you know? Or too. whatever. Uh, could you yeah. imagine
0: how, like, I feel like I was like, oh my God, we would be light years into the future.
1: You would see it would be a world more like run by women, like, it would We'd be see more, more equal female gover- by,
0: government yeah fe- more governments ran by women and who, women
1: not trying to live up to like man's men's standards and you would have had if we didn't have this from the beginning we would have had all these artists inspiring more women and more women and, and instead we had them hidden so like helma <laughs> and it's we not, could not have until- flying
0: cars we could have all the things we dream about I, like in my mind joking how far we could have really progressed like we could have been like you know, Star Wars level capabilities and I technology. Was,
1: my question is like, why, why are men in high society? Like, why are you, what is it about women that scares them so much that you have? I don't
0: think it's, um, I don't think it's scares. I think it's, uh, they devised a way to make them second rate, you know, citizens and people and something in some cultures, uh, uh, not, you know, not even human like a lot of people of color often were looked like they're not even real people because they're women and i don't yeah so i don't think it's a it's a scared thing i think it's a it's a uh, men historically have been obsessed with power and have gone out of their way to keep it.
1: So they're afraid to share their power with women. Absolutely or they're not emotional. I don't. Don't you think there's an aspect of fear from it though? That's that's a rooted in fear. I think. I to give up your ego. I but would that's have just... to
0: respectfully disagree with yeah the fear idea because you know because remember a lot of these men that are true you know sociopaths egotistical. Uh, You know, just these, you know, they have no remorse.
1: They just don't have the emotional capacity. You think they're sociopaths where they just don't have any feelings of fear?
0: Yeah. So it's not. Yeah, I don't. I think a lot of these people that are um, because like the billionaires and CEOs, for example, you know, tests have been done about this to show that they are they're very close to the psychology of psychopaths and sociopaths. And they've that's how they have rose to so much power and to so much esteem and to so much. You know, to the places they were because they don't have the emotions that me and you have, and so yeah, yeah. I I think it it is they're more a they have no feelings instead mm-hmm. of instead of fear or other things driving them. I would say that the thing that's driving them is the fact that they have no empathy.
1: Yeah, no, that's that's a no, that's an interesting argument. I I I agree with you. I also that's like my a lot of my belief system comes to the point of like either we are rooted in two main feelings in our ecosystem of our soul and it's either love or fear. If you strip everything else away, even the sociopath deep, deep, deep down, there has to be some kind of love Mm. and some kind of fear. I don't know. It's rooted into something. Like I don't think sociopaths are just like necessarily... Some of them, That I mean, there are some that are born, but they usually are made by their environment or lack of love or therefore. But that's just my my... I've always my belief system
0: there i have to probably respectfully push back there there's a lot of them are born you, that you are know born. no they yeah, are, they are born do- yeah that, that it has nothing to do with nurture it has everything to do with nature that they're just kind of that way but uh, yeah is you know you could be a perfect parent you could be a perfectly level-headed and normal and yeah um birth uh, a a serial killer
1: Yes, I mean chemical. There are people like chemical imbalance. There's science that shows yes that people are just born that way. Anyway, we're digressing. We are going on a, a, a whole nother subject. A I love this. Book. I love the subject of psychology and, oh, yeah. it, you know, I think I, it's important that I brought that up about love and fear and like the soul is because it's so much related to our main subject today, and that is Helma F. Clint. I'm very much rooted in a lot of like, I practice Buddhism. I, a lot of my artwork that I paint is rooted in spiritualism. And I focus on sacred geometry and meditating in front of my paintings to naturally see them. So I think that's why I connect with her a lot.
0: I have always been fascinated by that world. So, something a little about me that you probably didn't, didn't know, Miss Parsons, is since I was probably. I want to say a teenager in high school, kind of teenage years, I mm-hmm. was absolutely obsessed with learning about these uh, these communities and esoteric worlds. Yes, esoteric worlds and communities that studied them and Aleister Crowley and sacred geometry and all of these things. I was but what's crazy the difference between me and you is I am approaching it from a completely the other mm-hmm. side. Of the spectrum, I'm very non-theistic, very a- atheistic, and a lot of how I look at these things, I don't have really, I don't, so I don't align myself with any of them. Mm-hmm. But I like to study them in terms of the psychology and the culture and how these things were birthed out of out of the major main religions of Christianity and and Islam and hin- Hinduism and Buddhism, and then we have these subsects of. Of people that believe, like, there's a version of that, you know, there is a real world and there could be a spiritual world, and that we can somehow be the bridge in between them. And that's probably a very good segue to talk about our subject today, Off Clint. Because to really understand Off Clint, you need to understand the studies of spiritualism, of spiritism, of theosophy, of what. Over the years, some people put under the umbrella of mysticism because she f- fell into those circles and fell in love with the idea that. And I get it, you know, on my side, and I'd love to hear your side, um, probably being a little closer to studying those things. From my side, I totally get it. I get why these people kind of fall into these things that there there's more than just than just us. There's something that there's a whole world beyond us that we can't see and can't touch and can't smell, but it's there. And I find it I I get it, you know? So I get why people fall in love with these ideas. I I still don't personally believe in them, but I just studying them from the outside. I understand them and their motives,
1: and it seems so. It seems like it's a good balance for the show. Is you're more on which a lot of people are the intellectual side of things and understanding uh, scientific the root, probably scientific root of it and she actually studied science and she yeah, was oh very yeah. much like she was really great with math so math some, botany, the first, oh yeah. yeah the Can first part of her, her work yeah the first part of her work is i forgot that something chaos i think it's on the notes um
0: primordial primordial
1: chaos. chaos so a yeah. lot of it had to do with like numerical numbers and um but she also i think everything is interconnected so like with what you're more intellectual and in scientific, I like to have the balance of both, but I do lean more onto the spiritual side of things. And I don't very much talk about that side of myself that often because it is something that I hold very sacred um, in my world. And I can, I can um, actually relate to her because not everybody can understand it. And with society and social media, now there is this level of like um, trending of it, that has watered it down and um, has watered it down. It's kind of disgusts me and people aren't actually giving credit where credit's due with Jungian psychology and his spiritualism. And people keep talking about shadow work and they don't actually know anything about it.
0: So yeah, let's tell the good people about the differences then. I think that's probably important to, to dive deeper into the world that is off Clint because- Yes, there is there is people like her or Alston Crowley that really study this stuff that like find worlds or find things in like religious text like Bibles and the Kabbalah and the Quran, and find things with numerology and sacred geometry and all these. Yeah. And I find that so fascinating that they 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 find these other worlds by studying these other things both. Yes, on a very. Uh, religious theistic level and and also balancing that with a very scientific kind of level at the same time trying to try to analyze it almost like a scientist would and that brings her to to the five, which was essentially the um her and four other women creating a group of Of spiritual seekers, if you will, that they called themselves. Yeah, they would call themselves the Five. So I think the difference between what we see today, like people that are like, "Oh, well, I'm a fortune teller, and I can, you know, you know, I can just crystals up my butt, yeah, Yeah, crystals (laughs) and zodiac signs and all this stuff that is a little more face value, superficial. Let's make some money off of this. Mm -hmm. Whereas these women and these other. Historical figures you have talked about like really try to take this very seriously, and that's probably where I I take them seriously. You know, as yeah. much as I don't really believe in any of it, I respect that they do. Just like I respect any religion or anybody that practices a religion.
1: Beautiful work came out of it that was substantial and clearly has lasted through the test of time, um, and. Like, during the time, during the turn of the century, spiritualism hit a whole new wave, like it became very popular for people to hold seances in their house. So it was trending then, but it was in a different way. It was more pure, I guess, and more exploratory, um, something that wasn't watered down by like a societal Um, stance but it was becoming popular and you know Crowley was more um, he started it was part of the golden dawn order but there was a lot of artwork involving that with and they created the original tarot deck with the one that we see today so and they focused on a lot of sacred geometry and shapes but it also was a little different I say Hilma of Clint's group was more focusing solely on like the high masters so they would like Met they would tell the the, tell
0: the good people who the high masters are. That um,
1: you he'll hear about the high masters through a lot of spiritual movements even today. But apparently there are a group of masters that like speak. Um, well we should tell them they're spiritual beings. They're like spiritual beings. They're like an entity, like an energy source that you know is beyond our brain comprehension. And these five connected to it and as Hilma F. Clintz kept going on she would you know do these I don't know if necessarily she did these meditations but she was very fixated on focusing on like Buddhism oh, and different yeah. the religions the world
0: the paranormal trying to connect with these entities that were beyond her
1: speak through her they're really in automatic you know people like doing automatic writing these group of women got really obsessed with the automatic drawing so you would see all these swirls and and all these interesting swirls, f- figures and shapes, everything kind of connected to the snail, too. If she was a lot of snails in her drawings. And um, if you look at some of those automatic drawings from the 1900s, you go to the 1960s and there was um, drawings before right before her work got published, was able to come out. That started to become a trend. So it was like she, it wasn't just her, but that group was really ahead of their time.
0: So she tried to tap into the spiritual world and connect with these beings called the High Masters. And she truly believed at one time that one of the High Masters was working through her to create a series of paintings, of works that was later dubbed the Paintings for the temple so that's a very important part of the discussion is the temple paintings these were created from 1906 to 1915 and concluded with 193 paintings and i think it's time we talk about her work in a little more detail mm-hmm. and miss parson's was already kind of hinting at the uh, style you know the use of Symbolism, geometry, figuration, you know, all done through more of a spiritual lens. So she would use grids and circles and spirals and petal-like forms to create kind of these metaphor, metaphorical pieces. And the same could be said with her color choices. For instance... Blue is often used for the female spirit. Yellow is often used for the male spirit and red is often used for the spirit of love. And if you think of those that just face value guys, what are those? Those are primary colors. That's why she chose them. But it's, and again, there is something about this kind of work. And I think it it comes down to this. I'm curious to hear what you think, because I am so drawn to this style of abstraction because it uses shapes and circles and I think it person on a very very personal level. I've always been drawn to sacred geometry because there's something very soothing about symmetry.
1: It's everywhere in the world, it's everywhere on the planet. Like all sacred geometry connects is based on math and like it's based on like what we see um again i'll talk about the snail that circle that we see in the snail we see that shape everywhere in the world that swirl and the reason why she picked the snail design was because it represented the snails are usually both have male and female body parts so they represented male and female so the yin and yang she just like would go off on these connections that i think I think the reason why we are oh, attracted so to her so many dualisms and dichotomies. Yeah, I think that's yeah. why we're attracted to it because we really accepted that more than back then. You know, we still have ways to go and we've digressed in different ways in society currently, but you'll see that connection. She, she goes off on these rabbit holes, but they're still kind of scientifically connected. It's really quite beautiful. And these colors that she picked. She also like blended these colors herself. She would like take the egg yolk and get these natural pigmentations and just it was the really because I saw the exhibit. So the temple, I think I sent you some pictures. I saw, yeah. it, at the Gu- I saw it at the Guggenheim. Was I cool. went since 2000- in 2019. I was, I was very excited because I was like, who is this person? I don't know anything about her. And I guess no one really did. And I was most taken back when I was reading about her and how she wanted her artwork. She described it to be in a white temple that swirled upwards in a motion where her work could be shown in sequences going up, like to the sky. And she described the Guggenheim before it was ever built and before I think even Frank Lloyd Wright even saw her writing. So that took me back. I'm like, maybe she was a real psychic. Like,
0: that's
1: just <laughs> wild. And my partner, you know, my my late partner at the time, we went and saw the it gift together. Of
0: foresight, prophecy. And,
1: and he was my, so my late partner at the time we saw it together. And he's much like you, where he was a little more analytical and grounded, which was but also, you know, he believed in some spiritualism. He goes, Well, I mean, think about what you always talk about, you know, the collective consciousness. We're all connected to something. So maybe that's what she was connecting to. And I was like, not some spirit. And I was like, okay, I, I like that.
0: As, yeah, as a scientist at heart, Owl, do you want to hear how spiritual, like the extent of my spirituality can actually get? I can sum it up with like one sentence.
1: Sure, go so for this it. Is,
0: yeah, this is, this is about as spiritual as I get, is the total, un- the total energy in the universe, because I'm also obsessed with cosmology, mm-hmm. is zero. So the total energy in the universe is zero. So that means that as things put off energy, other things collect energy. So there's a creation of energy in the universe. Like take the sun, for example, the rays of the sun create, give us sunlight, vitamin D, et cetera. Now, where does that go? That has to go somewhere. So as we collect it, it later gets, so where there's an income of it. And then there's also eventually an outcome of it down the road in some other capacity. And if you actually balance all of that out mathematically, it's zero. So it's it's very balanced and even. So I think of <laughs> since I'm a part of the universe, I'm part of that energy that um that we never really die. So even when we die, we we get re- recycled into some new form of energy.
1: It's quite beautiful, isn't it? That's very I love that though. That is very That is very spiritual, though, because we all are energy and um, it's like thorough neurodynamic. What's the word I'm looking for? Um, Thermodynamics. Thermodynamics. Quantum
0: mechanics.
1: Yeah. Like energy is neither can be destroyed nor created. Is that how it works? Yeah, exactly. Yeah. So I believe- That's
0: why the total energy in the universe is zero.
1: Yeah. And I, I believe that as well. But I also believe that there are things that we don't know. I also believe I can be completely wrong and we just go nowhere and that's okay. There's like a piece in that, like being like, oh, oh totally. I, I could be completely wrong.
0: There's total piece in that,
1: yeah. And I think a lot of people, the issue with a lot of spiritualism, and we can go back to a lot of issues with men trying to control women too, is people are so they would re- rather they would rather be right than happy, and they mm-hmm. always people always feel like they well have put. to. Thank you, and people always feel like they have to. There has to be a right or wrong. There has to be. And this is how wars have started. And I was like, why? That's the issue. The issue is that everyone feels like someone has to be right or wrong.
0: I think, yeah. And I think the beauty of um, of the real answers half the time is just I don't know. Like, I don't know. Yeah. You know, there's nothing wrong with I don't know. But people like just like you said, have to be right or wrong Or, or they have to be right um, or prove themselves right somehow.
1: There has to be. Yeah, there's a belief system that they believe in and it is the ultimate right or wrong. And that your belief system is your belief system and your spirituality. And you could be right or you could be wrong. And it doesn't matter because what matters is if it works for you, it fucking works for you as long as you're not hurting anyone else. And fortunately, religion has hurt a lot of people. So we go into oh, this a whole nother fucking subject. But back to her work. <laughs>
0: Yeah, just to pull it back, you know, I I guess the point is, is, you know, talking about spiritualism and different things is we all create different stories for ourselves and how we look at the universe, how we look at ourselves, how we look at our place in this world, in this existence, right? With this consciousness. And this was her versions of that. And as much as they are simple and abstract you can see her world through her paintings, I think is profound. And her paintings tell a story. Even though, you know, you may look at one of her paintings like if if one of you guys listening right now were just to google this, you would just see at at just first glance a series of shapes, a lot of mm-hmm. circles with a lot of color in those circles, right? And at first at first glance you're like, well, this isn't this isn't really that profound, but I urge you to take The time. Take the time, Mm -hmm. and 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 this is you you don't realize how detailed these these are these pieces are. So zoom in. Use that computer. Use that technology at your fingertips, and zoom in and really study these because these are so much more detailed than I realized. I had to go back through them time and time again, and that's when I realized there was a story here. There was a story of spirituality, of divinity, Mm -hmm. of otherworldliness, of uh, esoteric mysteries. Mm -hmm. Like probably my favorite piece, or probably my favorite two pieces is the pieces that have the pyramid shapes that one there's multicolored that that points up towards kind of a sun like being to me Mm -hmm. and there's one that starts with the sun being at the top and has an inverted pyramid pointing down i mean to me that's like heaven and hell right there i mean that's a story
1: the transition through purgatory and going upwards or down yeah that, is, that was a beautiful one. My favorite was the Swan series. I, I sent you those two. Oh, too. more symmetry. The, the oh, Swan, so soothing. It's so beautiful that she starts with the abstract form, looks very much like classic shapes, circles, a yin and yang effect, yeah. her color symmetry. But then she progresses these paintings into like, these cubism works and these shapes and these three-dimensional squares that are swirling and somehow you're looking at it and you're like, is this like mathematics for my soul? Like, What's oh, happening absolutely. right now? The numerology and then, is there. Yeah, and then she goes into these beautiful swan, like the, the swan colors of like, uh, they're touching each other by the points of their nose. There's a black background at the top, white background at the bottom. One swan is white, one swan is black and it's representing the perfect yang, y- y- the balance between the feminine and And the masculine and and it goes to the snail too why you see a lot of those snails little shapes if you look closely to her paintings um you'll see that she has them because of they are born with both parts so it's really fascinating i think a lot of people's favorites are the giant 10 ones the ones that start and those were my late partner's favorites too and those you that's when you walk into the goo game those are the first ones you see and you're just like they're huge and you just look at them and are like oh my god! And they just represent like birth, ch- like childhood, um, youth. I think the adulthood are my favorites mainly because those are colors of like the blues and. The, it's essentially, like, the-, the
0: phases of our lives.
1: Yeah, and then the elderly one. And when you look at the old one uh, for elderly, like when you get old, there is something that looks like this. It's all pink and reds, and it looks like this. You know, you're ready to go on to your next transition of life. It's really, it's something that is, she was such ahead of her time, using colors that weren't used then that are being used now. She's like, and that's why she didn't want. You know, she posted like I in I think what what year was it when she was like I think in the 30s is when she decides to um her work to not she noted that she put an X in the negative mark next to the works that she said cannot be opened for 20 years till after her death.
0: That is probably the most fascinating part of her history Mm -hmm. is that she, she confided in her nephew, Eric, um, Mm -hmm. that she wanted, she felt like her work was, was like, the world was not ready to see her work and understand it and digest it. And he told, and, or she told him, to keep it secret for at least twenty years after her death, and then start releasing it to the world. And he did that; he stayed true to his word. And once that once they start, what's crazy is, you know, a lot her pieces were so secretive. But to your point, when you were saying things like you could see cubism in it and all this stuff, I thought that was an excellent uh, point to piggyback off of because she really was an origin to a lot of things. And though she probably didn't. Necessarily inspire future artists in the more traditional sense. I think how she probably inspired the people around her eventually it trickled down because, like, I saw just like you saw like Picasso in her work. I felt that way across the boards with so many of the artists we've actually covered on the show that Mm -hmm. I love. And then some that are in popular culture that even non-artists love like MC Escher, Mm -hmm. people love his stuff, you know,
1: the black and white sketch with the and optical optical illusions. And
0: exactly. And I, I love me some Escher and I saw so much of that kind of stuff. Yeah,
1: you're right. Come from off Clint. She's it's no, she's, She's fascinating. I, she, I They did just discover recently, maybe the past couple of years, that she did show one time in 1928 in London after being denied from multiple places. But we don't know what work. We think that a couple of the big ones were shown. Um this, so that there's only one evidence of one exhi- exhibition, but there is evidence that she tried to be in multiple ones. And um, she definitely
0: tried, you know, a little bit. She was she was very secretive, and I think to a very reserved, uh, yeah. yeah, very small in groups and corners and communities, she would show her, her work. But I thought it was so profound that she wanted to wait those twenty years, and even then, I felt like this was very important part of her history and something that we got to talk about is even then. So roughly, you know, so roughly in the 1960s is when her nephew, Eric started to show her pieces to the world. And even then, so even then he had a hard time, Finding people that took it seriously, which is no surprise given yeah. how we just talked about in the last century. Like, women who is this just, woman? And they're like, yeah. we don't
1: care about her. Like, what? Like, it was really, really just dis- disheartening.
0: And they tried to even, um, so this now, speed up to the 1970s, they tried to connect with S- S- um, Stockholm's version of MoMA, their Museum of Modern Art, and say, we have, we have, we have a Swede that wants to, that, should be revered and recognized and we have so much of her work we want we want to exhibit it you know display mm-hmm. it in your museum and they declined the donation they're like who's again to your point who's this woman we don't fucking i care. think
1: they because they couldn't make money off of her
0: right there was some there was some reason right yeah. and it wasn't until 1984 so eric god to his to his um you know We got to respect a little bit of Eric. You know, he kept trying. He kept going. And finally, uh, you know, he found an international audience in the 1980s. And it was presented at a conference in Helsinki in 1984. And then even then, it took (laughs) so long for people to... Finally, about this time, historians... And thank God for a lot of the female historians, art historians, that were like, wait a minute. We need to pause the movie. We need to take a break here. Like, we need mm-hmm. to really we need to really take these seriously. And they finally did. And it wasn't until 2017, okay, guys, another 50 what, 60 years for her to finally get some exhibitions in her name and then finally in uh, February of 2018, the Museum of Modern Art in Stockholm finally said yes to these donations. And now she has what is known as a dedicated room, a Hilma off Clinton room. So a dedicated space at the museum where a dozen works of the artists are shown on a continuous basis. Finally, we've mm-hmm. made it.
1: I think I'd have to say after I saw her work, it really changed the way I perceived art. And I think that's the whole point of art to constantly, oh, yeah. you know, and I don't understand what the fuck the problem is. Like but people are so... Art is just like anything in society. He thinks There's always a point where human people, humans, like I'm an alien, human people try alien to like people. human people, corrupt things. But her work is now, I think, considered probably used to be Picasso and his work. And she's my favorite artist. Wow. Because I get, I get so I emotionally- Favorite compelled. artist of all
0: time is officially off Clint?
1: It's off Clint. Yeah, a painter. Painter artists. Okay. Yeah. Okay, like are speaking kind of, of like abstract. Yeah, yeah okay. app, that of kind that of painter. medium. Um, and that your medium. Favorite. She's okay. my it always always Picasso and still a Picasso, but like and love Cubism and that always connected to me. But and I Kandinsky was always my favorite too. And I still love Kandinsky's work. Because um, I love there's chromacesia and synesthesia with his work, and that's a whole nother subject.
0: So then, tell the good people why they need why this is so important. I don't think you know we we do we end all of our shows with the importance of our topic, but this is probably one of the most important topics we have ever had. That's how marginalized she was. So tell the good people why it is so important to really study her work.
1: Um, uh, I would have quote from one of the art historians, um, Van Ness. She says, she created work for a future. She was an editor and publisher of her own archive. So the real readers and viewers of her work were not yet born yet. And she created work for a future where her own presence would be long gone. I believe that Hilma F. Clint is, speaks, she paints through the universe and is a true abstract um, form. And she speaks to your soul in such a way that few words can describe how you're feeling when you look at her work as a Mm. collective. And so that's kind of why I think it's so important. She is a pioneer of abstract art and she needs to be talked about and seen and there needs to be more essays on her she has 26,000 26, pages of writing in her work, books and books, and it was a miracle her work just survived because they, in Sweden it gets like negative twenty and the basement. Thank God for Eric again, held. right? Yeah, they're <laughs> well, like the you know, testament. Yeah, well, this one guy was like who was like in charge of all her work. I don't know if it's still Eric.
0: Oh no, they they made a foundation in her name, so there's a whole like nonprofit foundation literally called the Hilma of Clint uh, Foundation.
1: There that we go.
0: Care and preserves her work.
1: Thank God. But they were saying it's a miracle that her work didn't get destroyed it was like if it was they opened it up and it was the day it was painted it was wild so I like to think that there was some type of some type of higher force there I don't know why yeah some
0: type of high master that was looking out for her yeah
1: and I think the high master's uh, there is that you can interpret that however you want to interpret it. Right,
0: that could be God or some your sort of higher prophet, self, some, your
1: true inner consciousness that you're connecting to. Oh yeah,
0: that's left to so much the um, collective consciousness, Jungian oh, yeah.
1: work. So there's a lot that you can connect. That but the whatever total energy
0: in the universe is zero. Yeah, however she you was want. just <laughs>
1: connecting to the gray, like the black, the gray matter or the dark matter in the universe that is mainly is what consists. Of the world or the universe is dark matter. So she was maybe connecting to that into space and time. And she was seeing things that other people weren't ready to see, but she was brave enough to paint it. So and brave enough to know that people weren't ready for it. So very little ego there, which is a lot for an artist. A lot of artists have huge egos. So learn about her work and watch it. Really true pioneer.
0: There you have it, guys. The lifetimes and works of Swedish abstract artist Hilma af Klint from Top to bottom. I want to thank you guys for listening. I want to thank my guest, Miss Alexandra Parsons. But before we go, you know we got a little extra for you, a little icing on the cake, a little cherry on top with what we call the gym of the week. If you're new to the show, don't know what the gym of the week is. It's simple. It's something we like to talk about that doesn't fit into the scheme of the episode because it may just be on our radar in the last day, week, or month. But we got to give it to you guys so you guys can dig deeper. Before we do, let's talk sponsors. Today's gyms are brought to you by Zencaster. Zencaster is our go-to tool for remote podcast recordings. What's great is that you can record separate audio and video tracks, and it's all backed up on a secured class. You never lose your hard work. Even better, it's easy to use, and there's nothing to download. So go to zen.ai, that's Z-E-N.ai slash Art of the Beholder, or just use promo code Art of the Beholder and get 30% off your first three months with the pro account. Now back to the gems. Much like I said at uh, the top of the show and parts of the middle, I have pretty much since, I would say, high school, I've been in love with these worlds and fascinated by sacred geometry and the history of the occult and all of these mysteries that we can read about now and buy books on. And there is one artist that kind of came to the surface through all of this research, and that artist's name is Alex Gray. So Alex Gray's work, again, very inspired by someone like Off Clint. And all the people that she in- later inspired. So this is very spiritual oh, yeah, esoteric. Alex Gray. Yeah, 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 yeah. That yeah, guy's, this guy's very incredible. spiritual esoteric paintings of of those worlds and realms. And it's essentially a lot of the ideas of Off Clinton in terms of abstraction. Add in a lot of anatomy, Ooh, human anatomy, yeah.
1: transfiguration, then, all that stuff. Right, is really fascinating.
0: And then add in a a, a, a touch of. Different kinds of spiritualism, and then put that on steroids, and that's Alex Gray.
1: <laughs> that's very true. I love that. I have two, but in their shows, but I'm gonna have you, my, my I was gonna ask you if you've seen this yet, but it's a new show, it's a new drama show on HBO called Full Circle. It's a, I haven't, I haven't. It's the Steven um, Soderbergh, and he filmed it all entirely on an iPhone.
0: Of course he did. He yeah, uh, that's so, right. That, sounds, I was that like, sounds about right.
1: And it was as everyone tells me, like, that's about right. But it's really because I was watching it and I was like, why does this look like like a senior thesis movie? <laughs> and then I was like, but that was like this a whole student point. film. Yeah. And I was like, you know, and you have all these great actors in it. And yeah, like whole, Claire
0: Danes and stuff like that.
1: Yeah. And that was his whole point. So you could just really focus on the intensity and the intimacy of these expressions. And that also showcases how great these actors are because um, it it was a little drawing at first, but it's a really it's a really great show aesthetically. It takes place in New York City. It with that camera, every him doing everything on the iPhone, it does feel like you're in the city within the eyes, mm. kind of like you are a fly on the wall. Like you're the
0: voyeur kind of thing. Yeah, but. and
1: that's what he wanted. And he did a very good job executing that. And um another fun show is The Witcher's Out for everybody who's a big little Witcher fan. We're witcher. So,
0: we're Witcher heads in this. Yeah. yeah. The
1: season t- um Geralt. part two, Geralt. Oh, part two just came out. So, so I started started. Oh my God. Dream and he's a big nerd and right. You know,
0: Yennefer Usually, I joke about how all the dudes Ooh. are dreamy, but Yennefer is. Ugh. She's fucking easy on the ice too. She, she's I cursed. love. She's so beautiful. Yeah, she's, um, she's easy. On the oh,
1: so easy on the eyes. Both of them. I'm like, can I just have a poster of them? Like, <laughs> you God. Can,
0: I, you know that exists. You can. And the, and oh, the clothing guys, is amazing. Guys, we know what we're going to get Miss Parsons for Christmas. Interrupting okay. birthday is a poster of Geralt <laughs> oh, and Yennefer.
1: I would love that of Geralt. Oof, that's so nice. But this is the last <laughs> season he's in. He's not going to be the Witcher next the Yeah, next it's going
0: to be a Hemsworth.
1: Ugh, yeah, whatever. I'll probably still watch it. <laughs> <laughs>
0: And if uh, if you guys like that, you can check out Miss Parsons at Parsons dot com. Please um, go if you have IG,
1: go on to alexandra underscore parsons and click that uh, follow, and then you could kind of skim through my artwork. And you, there's a link there for the Etsy stuff of buying any of my like silk products. So. Yeah.
0: <laughs> Guys, check it out. And if you like that, you can also check out some of our products at novadayproductions.com. You can follow us at underscore novo underscore day and day is D-E and at Novaday Media. Don't forget to like, subscribe, do all the things, rate and review. And if you'd like to sponsor our little love child or be on the show, you can reach out to us at novadaymedia at gmail.com. So until next time, we'll see you in the next one. So be good to each other. And as always, good luck and God speed. We love you. Part of the Beholder is brought to you by NovoDay Productions. Created and hosted by NovoDay and the NovoDay Collective. Facebook.com slash NovoDay Media. At NovoDay Media on Twitter and Instagram. Music by A Company. Facebook.com slash AcoMusic123. Aco on Spotify. Logo designed by Tom Justice. J-E-S-T-U-S of thejusticecompany.com. And executively produced by Clayton Anderson. All rights reserved. The Gift of Foresight Prophecy.
1: And I was like, okay.